Business and Buckets. We are live, episode 90, right here, back in the 406. And I barely got a voice coming back from Vegas, but we're going to rock out. We're going to talk UFC fights. We're going to talk NBA, because a lot has happened in the NBA. We're going to talk some MLB. You know the drill. But before we talk sports, we're going to talk Fueled Supplements, the one and only sponsor at Business and Buckets. And the Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. If you're an elite athlete, a busy mom on the go, or just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. Go to FueledSupplements.com. Use promotion code BUCKETS for uh, 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. And I mean, we're going to jump right in. We're going to discuss UFC 276, UFC Fight Night, headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Faziv. Um, But let's just break down Vegas a little bit. So I had a group of six guys head down for the Dirty 30 for UFC 276. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a dirty 30 celebration. Um, we, we, we flew in, got some good food, um, at the catch, got some good sushi, got a little tuned up for, uh, and pregame for Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan at the MGM. I've never seen an event at the MGM. So that was really awesome. And, uh, he, he put on a stellar show, you know, supposedly it's supposed to be his next Netflix, uh, special. So hopefully I could watch it on Netflix. Cause I got a little fuzzy towards the end, not going to lie. Uh, but you know, he, he didn't care about breaking any boundaries. He let her rip. And that's what you love about Joe Rogan. And then on Saturday, got some brunch, some bottomless mimosas before we headed to the fights. Uh, we catched, and I, I had to show some of the boys, um, stadium swim at Circa. You know, we spent a lot of time after Joe Rogan in Fremont. I'm a Fremont guy. It's cheaper, better drinks. I usually do better at gambling, even though I did not come up on this trip, but I didn't lose a ton either because there wasn't a lot of free extra time. And after the events, we were already pretty tuned up. Um, but I showed him stadium swim before the fights. And we were at the fights after the first early prelim right at 3.30. Because you know, you know your boy couldn't miss out on this insane card. And it was an awesome experience. This is my third UFC live. And I don't know. I think this one, the problem is, is each time has been such, such an awesome experience that I had such high expectations in this one with Israel Adesanya, with uh, the Holloway trilogy, Shukashan O'Malley, right? Got the unranked shirt, uh, the, the whole squad going on. And um, I did really have big expectations. There's a sour taste in your mouth when, when the Sugar Show has a no contest to start the night. I mean, that's no fun. That's not, that's not necessarily what you signed up for. Um, the Israel fight was a little bit of a, a snoozer, you know, I wanted to see the, the best version of Izzy. Um, there was actually a max exodus during that fight, just leaving the arena. And then the max uh, trilogy, you know, it wasn't as good as the second one. I was hoping that it would be that and better. Maybe a chance of Holloway winning. Um, obviously, when you got money on the line, too, it's fun. If you win some money, I was close on a couple, but no cigar. And uh, we did get some good fights. So as I broke this down, I'm like, you know what? There was still a lot of good fights on this card. But when you have those big names, what you showed up for, especially the Sugar Show, um, you know, it does it does sting a little. But uh, it's not going to hold me back from going to UFC again. I'd love to see John Jones fight before he retires. I mean, the, the bucket list goes on and on. And as we move towards MMA, 
the idea is that maybe we could get some sort of influence with the with the UFC, be able to watch fights live. Once I fly back to Montana, I'm catching my first Bellator live. So starting to get more diverse outside of just the UFC as well. Uh, but it was an awesome experience. We flew back early Sunday morning. It was a pretty brutal Sunday. Um, prepping for 4th of July, we let her rip at a 4th of July party here in my hometown, Arlie, Montana. Live music, fireworks, cornhole tournament. I did not play well in the cornhole tournament, but, uh, you know, it was a great time. Cheers to 30. My actual birthday is actually the 9th, which today it's Thursday. Or, um, yeah, Thursday the 7th. Um, so, you know, a couple days away, but... Um, I feel like I'm 30. I've been talking about it so much anyways. And after Vegas, I felt like 30, that's for sure. But let's jump into some MMA news because there are some things that happened before we talk UFC 276. The first thing, Angela Hill booked versus Lupe Gudinez. Uh, that's going to be a fun fight in the women's division. Uh, Lupe is on a nice rise and Angela is desperate for a win. So that's going to be a good one. And finally, we get Nasser Dean Amavov grace in the octagon again. And this time versus Joaquin Buckley, that's going to be a banger. That's going to be must-see TV, so you can't miss that one. Bummer news for the UFC London card. And, you know, if Darren Till's pulling out, I'm, I'm sure it's somewhat serious. But he's had some injury issues uh, of late. Darren Till out in the UFC London card against Jack Hermanson. Um, I'm assuming if I'm that hyped up to see Darren Till, I could only imagine what London is thinking. Uh, but but we, we don't get Darren Till. But insert Chris, action man, Curtis. This guy says he's ready for short notice. He's ready to make moves. You know, he's, he's looking the best he's ever looked. So, I, you know, it's almost hard to even doubt this man against a high-level uh, competitor like Jack Hermanson. Um, we'll, we'll break these fights down, but Jessica I and Donald Cerrone did retire at UFC 276. You know, those are pretty cool moments for me as a fan. Uh, Jessica I is an OG, a reason the women's UFC is where it is today. And we all know about Cowboy. Um, I was, you know, a little bummed that the the um, Jim Miller fight had an adjustment. But you insert Cowboy. I get to watch Cowboy live and it happens to be his last fight. And when we broke it down last week, I'm not too surprised about this outcome. And hell yeah, Jim Miller, huh? He becomes the UFC wins leader and the first to fight 40 times in the UFC. Uh, what a savage. Uh, it was great to see him put on a show. And then... Outside of the UFC, Felice Herrig signs with BKFC. She just, uh, re, you know, officially retired from the UFC after her last loss. But she's trying to get the bag. She's going to go fight bare knuckle, put that pretty face into some damage as she's done before. Uh, but hopefully, you know, this is a good payday for her and that's why she's making the move. We also have some adjustments in Bellator, which again, for me as a fan, I guess I can't quite catch a break watching fights live, but that's just part of the, the part of the sport. Um, Pitbull, the title defense postponed outside of the Bellator card this next weekend or in two weeks due to injury, but insert former Ryzen champion Tofik Musayev, who is going to now face Sydney outlaw. And then the Douglas Lima fight moved to five rounds. So I'm not too upset about that. I've always wanted to see Douglas Lima fight and it looks like it should be a good one. Logan Paul signing with the WWE. I mean, what is he not doing at this point? He, him and his brothers have done anything and everything. So this is no surprise. And, you know, the, the fit that he wore last time, I don't watch WWE, but saw on social media, um, I'm sure he's going to be fun for, for WWE fans and uh, just another bag for Jake. 
or for Logan, excuse me. And speaking of the Paul brothers, Jake Paul and Tommy Fury have issues as Tommy has visa issues. You know, who knows if this is valid or not. Um, they both had different things to say on social media, but um, he is not going to be fighting Tommy for the second time, but he is taking um, Raman Jr., uh, another boxer, um, in the professional bout on short notice on August. So at least you get to see Jake Paul fight again to see if he can stay undefeated. In the PFL, there was a PFL card this past weekend. Kayla Harrison winning via TKO in the first round. I watched her previous fight, wasn't very impressed. You know, I know this opponent doesn't have, you know, quite the resume, but hey, a TKO in the first round, that's a positive direction for Kayla Harrison. Potentially the most dominant woman in uh, MMA. And then Sadibu C defeated Rory McDonald, ex-UFC uh, fighter via unanimous decision. Tough drop for ex-UFC guys lately in the PFL with Pettis losing a couple weeks ago. And then you have Ray Cooper III defeating Brett Cooper via TKO in round one. Ray Cooper having weight issues the last bout. He explained what was going on. Comes back, gets a win, TKO first round. That's a good way to turn that momentum upside down. But let's talk UFC 276. Picks-wise, you know, some of them came down to the wire, but I was 6-4, and four, so no wonder I did not come in with any bread in this card. Uh, but I'm going to make up for it this weekend. Lots of favorites um, in bout. I did take some underdogs here, uh, but, you know, it was a great experience. You cannot go wrong watching the UFC live in person, especially with good company. But in the early prelims, right as we got in the door, Macy Barber with the unanimous decision over Jessica I. And this was a one hell of a fight to start the night. I mean, um, Jess Jess got um, armbarred to start the night. Um, I missed that. I would have picked Jess Jess. I ended up not putting her in any parlays. You know, at this point, I'm 1-0 with Macy. And what a win for her. I mean, this was like a very tough, grinded-out fight. And I believe I knew that if she didn't win, she was planning on retirement. So I really did think she gave it all in her, her all in this fight. And she did test Barber. Uh, they had great exchanges. Barber is just a little bit bigger. You know, she's younger, more durable. Put her against the cage. Jessica fought and battled, had some good exchanges of herself. But Macy had good takedown defense. She was able to wear on eye throughout three rounds and had some good combos. I mean, combos of four or five strikes, that's what you like to see. And that was really what, what helped her in this fight. When we look at the stats, Macy landed 83 total and 63 significant strikes, while Jessica landed 76 total and 35 significant strikes with the takedown in four attempts. So she only got one for four, 25% against Macy. <clears throat> Macy now extends her winning streak to three, and that's in the last 12 months. So she's been active, been looking good. Uh, she was on a two-fight skid prior to that, so she's, she's right back to where we expect her to be. And she does move up in the rankings three spots to number 10, so she's a top 10 fighter. And Jessica ends her career on a four-fight losing streak, with a 15 and 11 record. But again, what a career by Jessica I, an OG in the women's UFC, you know, really a, a pace setter. Um, but it was, it was great to see her in action and, you know, um, cheers to her and her career. Now, obviously no fight coming up next for, for I, but I'd like to see Macy take on Jennifer Maya, who's ranked number eight. These are two women that are younger in the division that have, have proven that they, there's, you know, I guess they're, they're going to be a long-term stay in the division. They're going to be someone nobody wants to face in the octagon. I think that would be a banger of a fight. That's what the matchmakers need to do. 
And this is where a lot of my um, parlays had busted pretty early. We had Andre Muniz with a unanimous decision over Uriah Hall. And an impressive fight. I mean, Muniz, he literally smothered Uriah, which is not an easy thing to do. He was able to take him down and wear on him for three rounds. He landed some good grounded pound. And as a younger fighter, he was able to outlast Uriah. And you could just see that the wrestling wore on him. Anyone's getting taken down like that. That much control time. I mean, it doesn't matter how good of a, a gas tank you have. You're going to be damn near on empty. But I don't think I've ever seen anyone in, in you know short-term memory just off the top that's been able to take down Uriah like that and eliminate his striking. Andre never let him get comfortable, never let those combos come in, no big kicks or anything like that. He was all about getting the W, and that's what happened. Statistically, Andre landed 99 total and 17 significant strikes with four takedowns and 10 attempts, uh, so 40%, while Uriah landed 24 total strikes and six significant with two reversals. So again, 24 total strikes. Some of those, you know, some light jabs. He barely got any action on the feet. When we look at it, Andre is now on a nine-fight winning streak, seven of them in the UFC, and he moves up three spots to number 10. Huge, huge run for him. Uriah is on a two-fight losing streak, and really, outside of the Chris Weidman leg break, which was a win, he hasn't won since October of 2020, which was against Anderson Silva, you know, on his way out in retirement. So not the best version of the spider that we've seen, that is for sure. But he's still in the rankings. He moves down three spots to number 12. But tough break for Uriah at this point in his career. I would love to see Andre take on Sean Strickland, who we saw and will break down later. That would be a great measuring stick for him. And for Uriah, how about Dricus Duplessis, who just had an awesome fight, will break down or even Brad Tavares, who had lost that fight. I think those would be great stylistic fights. Those would be the ones that the matchmakers know will pull in. would be a good prelim fight, um, you know, maybe a prelim headliner, and we'll sell some tickets. I know for me, I'd be freaking jacked. And that's the early prelims. Again, this card was stacked. I know I felt like it could have been better, but it was still a great night. In the prelims, this was the fight that I really wanted to see. I, I made a pick. I picked the right fighter, Dracus de Plessé, with a unanimous decision over Brad Tavares. And boy, I was hyped. Um, I was standing up yelling, come on, Dracus, come on, let's go. And all my friends were like, he's fired up. And yeah, I was fired up. I was fired up. I was tuned up. Uh, it was a good celebration. And this fight brought the fight fan out of me. I mean, I had a good feeling this could be potentially fight of the night. But boy, did it deliver. And did both fighters have to dig deep the last round and a half to get a win? I still had the parlays, uh, a parlay alive at this point. So it was also very intense on a money point, on, on the money side of things. But Dracus looked good everywhere, man. And as expected, he even looked to, to do some wrestling, which was, which was more impressive. And he hit harder than Brad. He threw more volume. He's the younger fighter. He's not even quite in his prime. But this is going to be a guy that's going to move up the rankings, a future contender. I have no doubt about it. Statistically, Dracus landed 123 total and 113 significant strikes. He was 0-7 on takedown attempts, although a lot of those were kind of some half-assed takedown attempts. While Brad landed 98 total and 82 significant strikes on the night. 
So high volume. You love to see it. Dracus now is on a five-fight winning streak with three of them in the UFC. And he moves into the rankings at number 14. Only three fights in the UFC. He's a top 15 fighter. While Brad has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. And he moves down three spots, but is still in the rankings at number 15. Now, how about these fights? Dracus versus Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, holy shit, that, that just gives me the chills thinking about it. And then Brad versus Chris Weidman in the comeback fight. Or maybe Brendan Allen, the young guy trying to make his way into the rankings. Those would be great fights as well. And then the Irishman, man. What an impressive showing here. This was another back-to-back -back fights. We're in the prelims. After this, we get Cowboy. As a fan, you are hyped up. And, you know, I think the problem with this card is you get so hyped up, and then the main card brings you back down. I could only imagine if that Holloway fight was like the second one. You know, Izzy put on a performance. Sean won in a knockout fashion. Would have been a stamp of approval. One of the best fight cards of all time. But Ian Gary did his thing. Unanimous decision over Gabriel Green. And this was just another banger of a fight. I mean, both fighters had their moments. They mixed in some wrestling. But the big moment here was the Ian knockdown that shook Green. Um, I mean, he was landing some massively powerful shots. I was impressed really with Ian's endurance. Not only that, but his durability and the power combos that he had. Big leg kicks, falling up, left hook, right straight. I mean, he was really throwing them in there. And Gabriel Greens, he's a tough guy. I mean, he battled, you know, he's going to be a steady, steady name in the division. But Ian's on his way up, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes the next couple fights. But statistically, Ian landed 129 total and 116 significant strikes with a takedown and knockdown compared to Gabriel's 102 total and 90 significant strikes with the takedown. Ian is now 3-0 in the UFC, and Gabriel has his two-fight winning streak come to an end, and he starts a new losing streak. Now, I would love to see Ian take that step up again and fight Jeremiah Wells, who just looked great in his last bout, while Gabriel could fight Mickey Gall. That'd be a fun one, a real big fight for Mickey, because uh, Gabe Green is, is looking pretty solid in there as well. But yeah, I mean... Had Ian on the parlays, we had that one still live. Uh, you know, those two came down to the wire. And then we had Jim Miller with a second round submission over Donald Cerrone. And this was just really cool to see in person. Two OG guys, kids, I, you know, guys I've been watching at pay-per-views when pay-per-views are like once a month. They weren't fights every Saturday with your friends, have UFC parties. These were some of the main guys that you were watching. And not only did I get to see Cowboy fight in his retirement fight, but I got to see Jim get the record for most wins. And boy, did he look durable and sharp. Ever since he's got over his sickness, um, Lyme's disease, or he's been able to tame it, uh, he's been looking really good and having kind of a career uh, resurgence. Um, I do think Cowboy was pretty checked out just coming off the movie, a couple fight camps, you know, preparing to cut weight, not cutting weight uh, with the Joe Lozon, miss, uh, you know, fight cancellations. So I think he was ready for retirement and he knew it. Once the guillotine was in, I thought Cowboy really didn't want to put in the effort to get out. He's like, you know what? This is it. It's against Jim. I've beaten Jim in my career before. I'm ready to go be a Hollywood movie star and make some serious bread. But statistically, Donald landed 24 total and 21 significant strikes with the reversal. And Jim landed 35 total and 24 significant strikes with that takedown and submission attempt. Now, Jim is on a three-fight winning streak while Cowboy finishes his career on a six-fight losing streak with a no contest mixed in there as well. 
but he has amassed a 36 and 17 record. That is 43 or 53 um, professional fights with 27 finishes. And obviously no fight for Cowboy next, but how about Jim versus Scott Holtzman or Mark Madsen? That's really the fight that I would want to see, but either would be both fights for Jim at this point in his career and would be great for fight fans. And this is where all the money hit the drain in the prelim headliner, Jalen the Tarantula Turner with a first round submission over Brad Riddell. And this was also a performance of the night. But how about the stretch for Brad? I mean, it's been brutal. He didn't get to get going. He didn't get to show off all of his work in his big uh, camp because he got into the tarantula's arms and Jalen locked in that guillotine and it was it was game over. Um, brutal again for Brad. Very big win for Jalen. It'll be interesting to see where he can go from here. But statistically, Jalen landed only three total and significant strikes with the submission. Uh, compared to Brad's two total and significant strikes. Again, that's got to be brutal for a fighter. You put all that time in and fight camp. You're coming off a previous loss. You want to show people what you can do. You get into a submission, especially, you know, a guillotine, uh, what you practice getting in and out of all the time. Now, Brad is on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since uh, June of 2021. He does drop out of the rankings. Jalen is now on a five-fight winning streak. And he enters the rankings at number 14. So again, huge, huge win for him. Now, what's next? I'd like to see Jalen take on Armand Tusarkian. We just watched him fight. That went from a three-round to a five-round. He was really dominating um, Mateusz Gamrat in those three rounds. Um, if it was a three-round fight, he would have that victory, be undefeated, be really far up there. But that's two guys, hot prospects, battle it out. You're moving into the top 10. That's a fight you have to see. And then Brad, still a great fight. Tiago Moises, another guy that's been up and down but has the potential. Both of those fights would be must-see TV, and I'm all for it. But then we get into the main card. Everyone's hype. The Sugar Show is starting up the night. And, you know, it ended in the no contest due to an accidental eye poke versus Pedro Munoz. But uh, you could just feel the energy being taken out of the arena. It was definitely a bummer for me. That was a, a big reason I went. I knew this whole time when Shine couldn't fight in Phoenix, he was going to fight in, in 276 at the Suge Mobile Arena, so to speak. Um, but when we looked at the video footage after the fight, there was social media things going around right away. You could see the hands up on the eye. There was no insertion in the eye. But then the next day, there were people that had put it in uh, a video on YouTube where you could see uh, Sugar put down in a left shot so fast you had to play it in super super slow motion and his knuckles scraped by his eye so if there was an issue with the eye it got got smoked by sean a precise shot gets closed up scratches the orbital um you know technically that should be a doctor stoppage win by sean but i think the matchmakers are going to see what sean did in this fight pedro did land some kicks you know pedro's game plan was to kick the calves break down the legs so that he can't do his striking but a lot of those kicks were checked. Sean talked about it the next day on the Pivot podcast with Ryan, Fred Taylor, and crew. Um, but really, there was no strikes landed to his body or, or head. And Sean was really landed some nice combos. He was keep, keeping Pedro at distance. Pedro probably wanted to look to take him down. That didn't happen. So to me, Sean was on, uh, definitely on pace to win that fight. 
when you look at the stats, it's pretty even. We'll get to that into a, get into that in a minute. Um, but I'm excited to see what's next for Sean. He he called out Henry Cejudo um, in September 10th, which would be a couple pay-per-views from now. I don't think he wants to fight Henry Cejudo. Um, I don't want him to fight Henry Cejudo. That's a bad, bad matchup for a guy that's wrestling, that's beaten some of the greats. Um, you never know. Sean wins that. He's right into a title fight. But there is a ton of potential opponents for him. And the Sugar Show is going to be back just as strong as ever. No doubt about it. Um, statistically, Sean landed 25 total and significant strikes. While Pedro landed 26 total and significant. But again, I'm assuming those are all leg kicks. If you, I'll have to watch the fight back once I can get access to it on UFC Fight Pass. Um, but again, I think the I think Sean would have won the first round in the judges' scorecard regardless. But guess what? We'll never know. So what's next? I doubt they look to do a rematch. You never know. Pedro might be fighting for a rematch. We're not too sure what the plan is at this point. But I would like to see Sean take on Rob Font, a guy who had just fought Pedro Munoz not that long ago, is in his prime, a little bit crisper of a fighter, a little bit better of a striker, has that killer jab like Calvin Cater, uh, they train together. Um, and then for Pedro, how about Umar Nurmagomedov, uh, who has fought recently? I think that would be an awesome matchup, a huge opportunity for Umar to really cruise up in the rankings. Those are fights in the intensely deep bantamweight division to make. But either way, these guys grace the octagon. We're all tuning in. We already know that. And then outside of the um, Dracus fight, this was the fight that I was really fired up. You knew what this was going to be. You knew both fighters were going to come out brawling. And you knew they were going to put out a show for the fans. And thank God they did because the main events weren't, weren't quite up to par and expectation as a fight fan. We had Brian Barbarina with a second round TKO over Robbie Lawler, which was fight of the night. I had Brian Barbarina third round finish and it was so close. It was right at the end of the second. Uh, it was a bummer to miss out on that on that um, on bet, but it is what it is. But I expected this to be a fight of the night candidate and was it? And I was sure it was going to be a back and forth brawl and banger. And I'm telling you what, T-Mobile was fired up when this fight was going on. Brian was just able to outpace Robbie, you know. Um, as round two came, you could clearly see that Robbie was getting gassed out. He is 44 years old. He is ruthless, Robbie Lawler. He was throwing some, some combinations. He was throwing some strikes. He was going for the KO. So you can't really, you know, fret him for that. But that is why I had picked Brian Barbarena in this fight. Now, Brian did land 148 total and 147 significant strikes. And that was in two rounds. Very impressive volume. Compared to Robbie's 81 total and significant strikes. No takedown attempts. No bullshit. Straight boxing. And man, I can't wait to watch this fight back. Now, Robbie starts a new losing streak after the win versus Nick Diaz. And Brian is now on a three-fight winning streak all in the past 12 months. He's been active. He's been winning. He just got a new UFC contract. And fight fans know this guy is must-see TV. How about for the matchmakers? Brian versus Jack Maddalena, who has been a knockout guy as well, a big striking guy. Everyone's fired up about him. That would be awesome. Um, that would be another brawl that would probably be a fight of the night candidate. And for Robbie, I'd like to see him square up against Miguel Beiza. If he doesn't retire after this, I'm sure he's going to take some time to consider it. But we know Ruthless loves to fight. He's still got some left. So that would be a fun fight to see for the matchmakers to put on.
And then we got into the probably the, the most hyped up guy with the least amount of of you know film or ring time out there. We had Alex Pieta with a first round knockout over Sean Strickland, and this was a performance of the night as well. And this was another fight that I got wrong. Now this one didn't last long at all, but boy did the crowd get to witness Alex Pieta's KO power in person. I mean. I thought Sean was going to fight defensively or look to take him down early, but he really wasn't that smart in the exchange. There is footage of Pieta, um, you know, measuring up how Sean likes to come forward with his jab, how he was measuring distance so he could land that big left shot that put the lights out and uh, really shut Sean up. Now, statistically, it only took Alex 25 total and significant strikes with that knockdown compared to Sean's 15 total and significant strikes. Sean now has a six-fight winning streak come to an end. He does move down three spots in the rankings to number seven. And Alex, he is on a six-fight winning streak, only three of them in the UFC, and now he is in the rankings in a top 10 position at number six. You know the UFC has been hyping up him versus Izzy this whole time, and it looks to be that that's next because I'm pretty positive that's what the UFC wanted to happen. They put him on the same card. They had him at the presser together. Um, so I would be very shocked if that's not the next title fight for Izzy. And for Sean, how about a matchup against Dricus du Plessis, who just fought that night? I had Nasruddin Amavov on here, but that just got announced today. But uh, I think Dracus would be the fight to make. Um, it would be a good measuring stick for Dracus now in the rankings as well. And then the co-main event. One of the pound-for-pound -pound best fighters in the world, Alexander Volkanovsky, with the unanimous decision over Max Holloway. And clearly this fight did not go the way I thought it would. I mean, Alex mopped the floor with Holloway. But as usual, Max was able to show his toughness. He suffered that huge cut on his eye, but he kept going. He lasted all five rounds. He did it for the, the ninth island, you know, the volcano. Um, as a fan, you have to respect it, but it was brutal seeing what was going on. You know, Max even tried to switch it up a little bit. He tried some takedowns, but Alex had an answer for everything, and he really did treat Max like a punching bag. You have to give the credit to where credit needs to be due, and Alexander the Great is one of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the UFC. I can't wait to see him potential uh, fight for the champs, champ status. Uh, but it was very impressive, and it was great for me to see him in person for the first time. Alex landed 204 total and 199 of those significant strikes compared to Max's 161 total and 127 significant strikes. Now, Max does start a new losing streak, but he does stay in the number one contender spot, while Alex extends his winning streak to 22, with 12 of them in the UFC. After this performance, again, I think Max is probably right behind. I would have John Jones at the top. I know he hasn't fought, but John Jones, Kamaru, Alexander Volkanovsky is the top pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the UFC, and I do think he should move up a division to go to lightweight and fight Charles Oliveira for the champ champ title. But for Max, I think he needs to move up. I think he needs to have a chance at another title because he is that good. He's only 30 years old. He's durable. You know, he did suffer a big cut, but that can heal. I think that the best box office right now would be Max versus Dustin Poirier 2 
Dustin still looking for a fight. Or Conor McGregor too, which he's lost both of those prior, but he was very young, way before his prime, and those would be must-see TV. The hype around those would be awesome, uh, but those would be legit. And again, I do think Alex goes up and fights Charles Oliveira. And then in the main event, we got to see Israel Adesanya with a unanimous decision over Jared Cannonier. And this fight was a real snooze fest to end the, end the night. Again, was it a terrible fight? No, there was still some action. But when you see somebody like Izzy, especially in person, you want to see him go out there and put on a show. But he didn't want to put himself in the danger zone because he did respect Jared so much. But he did enough to win the fight. He avoided the takedowns from Jared. And we've seen this song and dance with the UL Romero fight. Jared forced more um, action than what UL did. Uh, but, there, you know, there, there wasn't a huge difference. Jared, though, he, I mean, he's older. But he is a legit force right now. And Izzy knows um, how to do enough when needed to win the title. John Jones-esque. Um, so I got to see him win and, uh, you know, uh, defend another title. And Jared, I can't wait to see who he fights next. Statistically, Izzy landed 163 total and 116 significant strikes compared to Jared's 141 total and 90 significant strikes. But he was 0-4 on takedown attempts, so props to Izzy for that. Jared does start a new losing streak while Izzy extends his winning streak to four. Although he is undefeated in his division, his loss was to Jan Blakovic when he tried to move up to light heavyweight. So what's next? Well, I'd like to see Izzy take on Alex. Uh, that's the fight to make, right? That's Can he avoid the knockout power? I think he does. I don't think it's as great a fight as people see, but that's the box office event. Let's just get it over with. And for Jared, I think he could take Derek Brunson, blonde Brunson, right before he retires. That would be a ton of fun. We'd see some grappling, some wrestling, some striking, and we'll see who the bigger dog is in that octagon. But again, what a freaking card. I had an amazing time. Good company, good times. If you haven't been to T-Mobile, I highly recommend going. I know I'll be back as soon as I can get out there. Moving to Phoenix this winter, maybe be able to go more now that it's close. And hopefully Phoenix has some more cards in the desert as well. So what's next? This weekend on Saturday, two days from now, we have USC Fight Night on ESPN. ESPN. Uh, a 6 p.m. main card start, a 6 p.m. Pacific main card start. So you do get the action on ESPN. Again, if you're an ESPN Plus subscriber like myself, you can't watch them live. You can watch them at your own time. That's the best part. So let's start in the prelims. We have Kennedy, the African Savage, Nishekwu, 30 years old with a 9-3 and record, taking on Carl, Baby K. Robertson, 31 years old with a 9-5 and record. Now, in the prelims, this is a massive fight for both fighters. They're both on skids. It could be a risk at being cut from the UFC with a loss. Plus, they're both fighting in their primes. And at light heavyweight, you typically see some knockouts. So I don't expect this one to go all three rounds. Kennedy is an LFA and Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a two-fight losing streak. He does have a nine-inch reach advantage. That is wild. And six of his nine wins are via knockout. Carl, also his path to the UFC, is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He is on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since November of 2019. So he's desperate for a dub. And four of his nine wins are via submission. But also, four of his five losses are via submission. 
Now, Carl is going to look to take Kennedy down, in my opinion, but I think the long reach of Kennedy is going to be a problem for Baby K. If he can't keep Kennedy down, he can't get that control time, get some ground and pound going, I think it's going to be a long night unless he catches him with a big shot. But my money is on the African Savage. I'm taking Kennedy. I'm putting him on my parlay. We market him down, and we get in bread this weekend. Moving on, we have Trayshawn, Mr. Vicious Gore, 28 years old with a 4-1 record, taking on Cody Brundage, 28 years old as well, with a 7-2 record. Now, this is a fun clash of young fighters, right? This is the reason you watch the prelims. These are guys that are moving their way into the UFC, trying to make a force, eventually end up on pay-per-views. Um, they're trying to make a name for themselves in the UFC at this moment. When we look at Trey Sean, he trains with some dogs at ATT. This is his first UFC fight since losing to Brian Battle after the Ultimate Fighter. Brian Battle ended up winning it. Trey Sean Gore had to pull out due to injury, but then they got a fight eventually anyways. Brian proved he is the real Ultimate Fighter. So he is on a one-fight losing streak, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage in this fight. While Cody, he's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 1-1 one one in the UFC. And three of his seven wins are via knockout and three via submission. So six of his seven have gone to finish. I do like Trayshawn's striking ability here. I know he's going to be hungry after the loss of battle. I think he has just the more of that it factor. So I'm taking Trayshawn. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. Moving on. We have Antonina La Pantera Shevchenko, 37 years old with a 9-4 record, taking on Courtney Cast Iron Casey, 35 years old with a 10-9 record. Now this is another fight where both women are really looking for momentum as they get towards the end of their fighting career. Antonina has a Muay Thai and kickboxing background. She's a southpaw fighter out of Tiger Muay Thai. You know, she'd be she in there with her sister, the bullet. She is a Dana White Contender Series alum, and she's on a two-fight losing streak. Now, Courtney, she's a brown belt in BJJ. She is on a one-fight winning streak, and four of her ten wins are via submission. Now, I think this is going to be a tight matchup, but I like Antonita striking more. As long as she doesn't let Courtney take her down multiple rounds, I do think I do think she finds a path to victory. So I'm going to take Antonina. I'm putting La Pantera on the parlay. We marking her down and we getting that bread. <laughs> Moving on. Some more Ultimate Fighter alums. We get Ricky, pretty Ricky, Tercios, 29 years old with a 12-2 record. Taking on Ayman Zahabi, 34 years old with an 8-2 record. Now... Here is a chance for us to see what the Ultimate Fighter winner can do in the UFC. Ricky caught a little bit of, I think most people by surprise in the Ultimate Fighter, but he gets a chance versus an experienced fighter all around MMA, not just in the UFC, who's trying to build momentum in the UFC. So this is a big fight for him as well. A guy that people know is somewhat of a household name, all the Ultimate Fighter fans. When we look at it, Eamon is a black belt in BJJ. He is on a one-fight winning streak. Five of his eight wins are via knockout. While Ricky, he trains out of Team Alpha Male. He is a Ultimate Fighter, Dana White Contender Series, 
Bellator and Fury FC alum, and he does have a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. While Eamon, he has fought some tough bantamweights like Vince Morales, Ricardo Ramos, so he's been um, there before with some tough talent, but I like what I've seen from Pretty Ricky. I like to call him Tricky Ricky. Um, in The Ultimate Fighter, he proved his just, he has that fighting spirit. He's willing to go two deep ends, and I don't know if this other fighter ha is going to be able to be ready to do that. I don't think he's going to be ready for Pretty Ricky's pace. He does also train at Alpha Male, so I think if he could avoid getting taken down by and being affected by Zahibi's uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he should get the win. For that reason, I'm taking Ricky. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking him down, and we getting that bread. Now, this was slated for the prelims, but it got moved to the main card. We had Cynthia Cavillo, 34 years old, with a 9-4-1 record and the number 11 next to her name, taking on Nina Nunez, 36 years old, with a 10-7 and record and the number 7 next to her name. Now, we get a battle of some vets that have had up-and-down careers, but do find themselves in desperate need for a win in their mid-30s. Now, Cynthia has a BJJ wrestling and Muay Thai background. Cynthia is on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since June of 2020. Two of her four losses are via knockout. Three of her nine wins are via submission, and she is an LFA alum. Nina, she trains out of ATT. She's a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo. She is a purple belt in BJJ. She's an Invicta alum. And she's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since December of 2018. There's a couple fights like this. They usually make for good fights because each fighter, if they really want to be in the UFC, they got to find a way to win. Now, this is a tough one to pick. I'm going to go with the younger fighter who has fought stiffer competition. For that reason, I'm taking Cynthia Cavillo. I'm going to put her on that parlay. We marked that ish down and we getting that bread. Now, moving on, this is in the main card. We have Michael the Menace Johnson, 36 years old with a 21-17 and 17 record, taking on Jamie Malarkey, 27 years old with a 14-5 and 5 record. Now, on this one, it's a typical young fighter, not even in his prime, moving his way up, taking on a true veteran of the UFC. Michael, he's a southpaw fighter. He trains out of Sanford MMA. He has a Juco wrestling background where he wrestled at Merrimack Community College. He was a top wrestler there. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum. He had the 2017 Fight of the Year against Justin Gaethje. He's on a one-fight winning streak after a four-fight losing streak. Nine of his 20 wins are via knockout. Nine of his 17 losses are via submission. While Jamie, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak. Three of his five losses are via knockout, and 10 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, Jamie, I think, is more well-rounded, as Johnson is just a very good striker. He's more one-dimensional. I think the way Jamie has been fighting lately, that this is going to stay standing. Michael is going to be down to brawl. Um, so I'm going to go with the younger fighter who hasn't taken as much damage. For that reason, I'm taking Jamie Malarkey, but I'm not putting him in the parlay. Michael... I have a feeling just might find a way to get the job done like he did the last fight. 
And then we got some big dogs. We got Jared Vandera, 30 years old, with a 12-8 record, taking on Chase the Vanilla Gorilla Sherman, 32 years old, with a 15-10 record. Now, this is a very typical heavyweight brawl of two guys who are fighting for their UFC careers. Jared, he trains out of Dan Hender's Athletic Fitness Center. He's a black belt in BJJ. He is a King of the Cage and LFA alum. He's on a three-fight losing streak. Seven of his 12 wins are via knockout, and he hasn't won since May of 2021. While Chase, he's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Sanford MMA, which is a recent change because he was fighting out of Jackson Wink MMA. He's a purple belt in kickboxing, a black belt in BJJ. He was a former BKFC champion. He's also a Titan FC alum. 14 of his 15 wins are via knockout. Four of his 10 losses are also via knockout. And he is on a four-fight losing streak and hasn't won since May of 2020. He actually this year got cut from the UFC, took a fight on short notice, is back in the UFC, and he's previously left the UFC to go to jungle fighting, back to the UFC. So he's been really mixed in in the UFC. He's only um, 32 years old. So these are another must-win fight. From what I've seen lately, though, Chase has kind of got himself into some ugly brawls and gets caught up. So I'm going to go with Jared, as I think he looks to put Chase up against the cage, wear him out with a, with the heavier weight that he has. But both are black belts in BJJ, so it could get interesting on the ground. But I think Jared's just naturally bigger. For that reason, I'm taking J Jared Vandera, but I'm not putting him on a parlay. Moving on, we have Douglas De Silva. So Douglas De Silva, but Douglas Silva De Andrade, 37 years old with a 28-4 record, taking on Saeed Nurmagomedov, 30 years old with a 15-2 record. It seems like every fight night lately we're getting a Nur Nurmagomedov. Um, but here we get to see two talented fighters in a very good bantamweight division. I always talk about it. But they're looking to push themselves into the top 15. Both fighters have quality wins. Douglas has been more active. But both fighters need to show out if they want to have a chance in the rankings. Now Douglas, he's gone back and forth from bantamweight to featherweight. He has a background in boxing and BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak, both at bantamweight and both were fight of the nights. 20 of his 28 wins are via knockout. That's very impressive. While Saeed, he's on a two-fight winning streak, and he does have a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. I believe this could be a fight-of-the-night candidate because there's so much on the line for these fighters. This will be a big-time push for Saeed, a very tough fighter for him as he's moving up to get uh, quality candidates. And I think Douglas is going to make to look to make this a brawl, and I think Saeed is a little bit younger. I think he's going to have the better endurance and durability to get the job done in three rounds. I can see Douglas getting tired out by round three. So Saeed's just going to have to find a way to win two of those rounds, uh, which I do think he'd win round three. For that reason, I am taking Saeed, but I am not putting him on a parlay. And then we have Armin Superman Petrosian, 31 years old with a 7-1 record, taking on Chow the Natural Baralho, 29 years old with an 11-1 record. Now, here in this co-main fight, 
It's two fighters that are new to the UFC that have barely tasted defeat in their MMA careers. Chow is on a three-fight winning streak. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum, and he does have a four-inch reach advantage. While Armin is on a three-fight winning streak, two of them in the UFC. Six of his seven losses are or seven wins are via knockout, and his one loss is via knockout. Now, I was very impressed with Armin, who I did not have any knowledge of, in his last fight versus Gregory Rodriguez. And Gregory's very good. Robocop ain't playing games. Chow is more experienced just overall, but I think Armin finds a highlight knockout here. He is an underdog, so I'm going with the dog on this one. I'm taking Superman. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking him down, and we getting that bread. But this card, to me, if you're going to watch one, you have to watch the main event. It is the main event for a reason. This fight did originally get pushed back, and I can't wait. We have Rafael Dos Anjos, 37 years old, with a 31-13 and 13 record, and the number 7 next to his name, taking on Rafael Ataman Faziv, 29 years old, 11-1 record, and the number 10 next to his name. What a fun fight this is going to be. The striking fight fans are about to witness is going to be next level in this bout. This is Dos Anjos' last chance to move up in the run to the top five of the division. And, and you know he's going to want to show that he still has it. And Faziv is a really big name with a lot of momentum to do the job. Dos Anjos, he's a southpaw fighter. He has a BJJ background with a fourth degree black belt. He's got a black prajit in Muay Thai. He's a former lightweight champion. He has the most unanimous decision wins in UFC history with 11. He has the second most total fight time in UFC history with over seven and a half hours. He has the second most decision fights in the UFC history with 20. He's on a two fight winning streak and 10 of his 31 wins are via submission. Now Faziv has a Muay Thai background. He trains out of Sanford MMA and also Tiger Muay Thai. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He was the 2021 Breakout Fighter of the Year. He's on a five-fight winning streak and is 5-1 and one in the UFC, and seven of his 11 wins are via knockout. Now, what's interesting about this fight is it's five rounds. So it's going to be interesting to see RDA against Faziv because he has so much experience going five rounds, and Faziv has it. Now, I think Faziv is going to be the faster, more durable, and more precise fighter. If RDA can make this ugly, which he's done many a times, if he could take Faziv down, he might have a chance at the victory if he can get Faziv's gas tank closer to empty as they move into championship rounds. This is a very close fight, but I am taking the younger Faziv. Just the way he's able to strike really impresses me. You'll see the things going viral right now where he could literally bend his body back to avoid a kick almost all the way back. How he does it, I don't know. Uh, but I think he's going to find a way to knock out RDA. I'm taking Ottoman. I'm putting him on my parlay. We're marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Now, next Saturday, we have a deep fight night card. It's an 11 a.m. Pacific card start on ABC, and the prelims will be on ESPN. And I didn't even put who's headlining this. What a shame. Shane, what a shame. 
I want to say this is the uh, Ortega fight, which gives me chills even thinking about. Uh, the UFC's website is trash, people. Come on. One second. I always just have to go to Sure Dog. Yep, there we go. Ortega versus Rodriguez. This is happening in New York. We get Michelle Watterson, Li Jing Lang. I mean, we're not going to talk about it now. We'll save it for next week. But it's going to be a banger. It's a deep, deep fight night card. And you can watch it on ABC. But let's switch gears and talk about the chaotic week, which is the NBA offseason. Because every year it delivers. It's free agency. There's people going from teams. There's trades. There's a lot of things. And there's a lot more to come. But we're going to run down the list and I'll give you my thoughts on what had happened. So first up, Tyus Jones signing a two-year $30 million deal with the Grizzlies. I mean, you got to keep Tyus if you're the Grizz. What a good backup point guard to have. He's really shown a lot of growth. He's shooting the three ball and facilitating very well. You can't be too surprised about that. And two-year $30 million is a pretty good price. The Magic keep Mo Bamba uh, for two years, $21 million. Obviously, Mo Bamba's had a lot of hype. He's one of those tall, skinny guys with handles and a shot. And they got to let him develop. He is 24 years old now, so it's time to start making something happen. But they're willing to give him two years. The Knicks sign Isaiah Harvenstein. Um, that's a very Nick-like move, but still a good backup uh, center potential for them as they try to figure out who their core is moving forward. <coughs> My voice is fading on me, guys. Jalen Brunson was supposed to hear the pitches from the Knicks, Mavs, and Heat, but supposedly the Knicks might be getting fined for tampering. He eventually does sign a four-year, $110 million deal with the Knicks. Nova Nation stand-up. Jalen Brunson getting the bag, had a massive year. I witnessed it very well in the Jazz series. He demolished my Utah Jazz, um, but he's going to be playing with the Knicks, so we'll see what he can do to help lead a core group there but he will be a major part of that team. And the New York Knicks have their point guard. That's great for the Knicks. For Brunson's career, I'm not too sure. Now, Nikola Jokic really getting the bag with a um, record five-year, $264 million deal. But if you're the Nuggets, you have to do it. If you're Nikola, you want to be the face of the Nuggets. That's, you know, no surprise here. Devin Booker signs four-year, $214 million deal. He's getting a max contract as well. Uh, Devin Booker, one of the face of the Suns. Can you be too surprised? And I assume him playing with CP3 is only going to keep helping develop his game. Daniel House, who is actually a pretty good piece for the Jazz down the stretch, Signs with the 76ers. So nice ad by the 76ers. They took um, George Niang from the Jazz last year, and he panned out pretty well. The Blazers signed Anthony Simons, four-year, $100 million deal. And I like me some Anthony Simons. You know, he's a good young hooper. But is he worth that much money? Um, I think they might have overpaid for him. But as we look at it, he's only 23 years old. He's still pretty young. But that seems like a lot of money for Ann Fernie. P.J. Tucker signing a three-year, $33.2 million, fully guaranteed deal with the Sixers. 
This keeps them having some toughness, allows Joel Embiid to have another guy in the middle with him. I like this move for the 76ers. PJ, though, I feel like he's got to be getting close to, you know, dropping in performance. He's 37 years old. We'll see what he's got. You can't doubt PJ Tucker. Bradley Beal signs a five-year, $251 million deal. He opted out to get the Supermax. Um, I'm not too sure why he wants to keep playing there, but for the Wizards, that's a win. And he also made this deal a no-trade clause, so he cannot get out of Washington. The um, uh, Malik Monk signs with the Kings. Malik Monk definitely showed he could score. He's a liability on offense, and doesn't that just fit the Kings? That sounds like the Kings if you ask me. Um, but it's not a terrible uh, deal and a terrible signing for the Kings. I like Malik Monk. He showed a lot of potential, and he's got to be pretty young. He is 24 years old. A lot of these guys right on that 23-24 now. DeAndre Jordan signing with the Nuggets. Backup center, maybe some experience on the team, but I'm not too sure why they wanted to sign him. Jaron Jackson out four to six months due to repair a stress fracture in his foot. So that's a tough news for the team. Jaron Jackson's a, a big part of that team and what they want to do moving forward. <clears throat> Kevin Durant requests a trade from Brooklyn. Um, we probably have this later down the list, but it looks like uh, Kyrie Irving is going to stay. Um, I know KD is, or the um, Nets are looking for a massive haul for KD, as they should. <coughs> Excuse me. He's the best player on the planet. Um, the only team that can really have the potential to do this without a multi-team trade is the Raptors with all the potential they have. I would love to see KD in Toronto. I don't know if he wants to go there. And the Nets could really get a good return. So that's what makes sense to me, but I'm sure it's going to be some drama with a bunch of superstars. The day that'll go down, though, it's going to cause a, a, a ricochet of waves. The Jazz trade Royce O'Neal to Brooklyn for a 2023 first-round pick. Hey, you know, for the Jazz to get that as a haul, I can't be mad about it. Danny Ainge and team, obviously, after a first-round exit and a piss-poor for performance, they're going to blow up house, right? I, I know Donovan's a little skeptical. I'm a little skeptical. But we got to do something to make a change. We get the new young coach. We're, we're blowing up the old role players, insert some new ones. It'll be fun to see what happens. On There's going to be a lot more to happen with the Jazz moving forward. The Jazz wave Juancho Hernan Gomez. Um, you know, this is the guy that played in the movie with Adam Sandler. And he was pretty good for the Jazz down the stretch. I liked his tenacity. I wanted him to keep him his size and length. He's a pretty good little shooter too. But again, they want some solid players, and he's a guy that's a very deep rotational piece for most teams. Bobby Portis signing four-year, $49 million deal with the Bucks. That's a team-friendly deal. Him and the Bucks are a match made in heaven. You can't be too upset about that, and Milwaukee fans love him. Oladipo signing with the Heat, one-year, $11 million. It's a team-friendly deal. Oladipo showed some signs. They gave up a lot to give him in the first place. So this is a prove-it deal to see what he's got going on. I, I watched his uh, Pivot episode as well. And it was good hearing things from his story. He is 30 years old, but he's still got some quality years. See if he can help the Heat. But the Heat have to find a new direction moving forward. This guy who had a great year, Chris Boucher, returning to Toronto. Three-year, $35 million deal. 
I thought that was a win-win on both sides. Same as this one, Lou Dort signing a five-year, $87.5 million deal with the Thunder. He's been a great 3 and D player, very impressive, um, and a good piece for them moving forward. They have such a young core now. Dwayne Dedman getting a two-year, $9 million with the Heat. Backup center, he's tough, he gets boards, he's gritty. Um, definitely a Miami Heat type of player, so win-win both ways. Thaddeus Young signs two-year, $16 million deal with the Raptors. Um, just another depth piece, a guy that has experience. I don't think that's a bad move for $16 million. I hate to see this as the Bucks sign a lot of ex-Jasmine. Joe Ingles signing a one-year deal with Milwaukee. I mean, at this point, Joe's getting a little older. He can still facilitate. He can still play some D, and he can still shoot. That's a great rotational piece for the Bucks. As a fa as a fan, I hate it, but it, it makes a lot of uh, common sense. The Rockets signed Jay Sean Tate to three-year, $22 million. They have a young core. They liked what they've seen from him. Not a bad move. Marvin Bagley gets three years, $37 million from the Pistons. You know, Marvin Bagley was very sought after in this. So far in his career, he's been a bust, but he's only 23 years old. That's a team-friendly deal. I'm not too mad about it. It might be a little high. Patty Mills signing two years, $14.5 million with the Nets. I think this makes sense. Patty Mills is a great bench player. He's been coached through the Popovich system, and, and, and he's a gritty, good shooter. Nick Claxton stays with the Nets. Another young guy with a lot of potential. Team-friendly deal. I don't think you could go wrong there. The Lakers trying to strike gold in what the Spurs saw in Lonnie Walker as he signs with the Lakers. Um, this just seems like a desperation move to me, but if you're the Lakers, what else are you going to do? You got to try to strike gold, strike gold. So I'm not too obsessed, upset with it, but it is a very Lakers-like move. JaVel McGee signing with the Mavericks three years, $20 million. Pretty team-friendly deal. JaVel McGee has been a, a proven uh, backup center that's delivered. I think that's something that they need. He plays good defense. He is 34 years old, so we'll see how much he's got left in the tank. Andre Drummond signs with the Bulls. Um, you know, I'm not too pro or against this one. I don't really know what to think. You know, when you think of Drummond, he's not much of a scorer. He's a rebounder, a guy that fills space. I guess the Bulls need that. But, uh, yeah, him and Vucevic, I don't know. Uh, they're, they're just in a tough place right now. Carl Anthony Towns getting the Supermax four-year, $224 million. He is the face of the team. He doesn't play any defense. We'll talk about the, the, the Gobert trade later. Um, but I guess you have to do it if you're the Timberwolves. John Morant gets the rookie max, five-year, $193 million. You're not mad about that. Well-deserved. Gary Payton getting a, a good little um, contract. Three-year, $28 million deal with the Blazers. He earned that in his playoff and championship run with the Warriors. A good defender, improving shot maker. I think it's a good fit for the Blazers. I like that fit both ways. This one, I have no clue why the team is willing to do this. A year after injury and no, no proof in the pudding, Zion Williamson signing five-year, $231 million. The Pelicans keep swing and missing. I think this is a swing and miss, but time will tell. A, a, a fan favorite, just move that you love to see, Ricky Rubio signing three years, $18 million with the Cavs, a veteran that's really battled his way through the league, uh, has has done a lot of things for a lot of teams, and will be good for the Cavs to lead their, their young guards. 
He's only 31 years old. It seemed like Ricky Rubio's been playing forever because he has been. Came over from Spain really young. Mitchell Robinson, four years, $60 million with the Knicks. I think that's a little high, but I don't think Mitchell Robinson was ever going anywhere. Uh, he's a good uh, defender, a decent center in the league uh, where, where you want shooting centers. He's not the guy, uh, but the Knicks got to you know have a core with someone. Bruce Brown getting a uh, two-year, $13 million deal with the Nuggets. Uh, he's, he's played pretty well in Brooklyn. The Nuggets wanted some toughness. They get Bruce Brown. I think that's a win-win. Bull Bull getting a two-year deal with the Magic. Bull Bull is kind of like Mo Bamba. A lot of potential. He's only 22 years old. You got to see if it's worth it. You know, he could be one of those unicorns. I want to see him get some minutes, all right? Magic, give him some minutes. Aaron Holiday, Holiday signing one year with the Hawks. It's a depth move. I don't think this is anything that jumps off the paper. I haven't really been impressed with Aaron Holiday so far. Theo Pinson signing a one-year deal with the Mavs. Another depth move, another cheap deal. I like Theo Pinson more than I do Aaron Holiday. The Mavs do need some depth, so I'm not mad about it. The Raptors signed Otto Porter Jr. to a two-year deal. They're really going to have a deep uh, squad or a lot of pieces to try to get Kevin Durant with. That's just another nice piece for them, a guy who's got a ring and has been there now. Zach Levine getting the max from the Bulls, five-year, $215 million deal. Like I said, the Bulls are in a tough place. I would have liked to have seen Zach go elsewhere, but he's a loyal guy. You can't be disrespected by it, and you know that the Bulls wanted to keep him. He'll fill seats and sell jerseys. Uh, Yusuf Nurchik, four-year, $70 million deal with the Blazers. You know, he's going to be a Blazer for life. Him and Dame are, are the, the main stays there. And he's a solid center. That's a pretty friendly deal, if you ask me. John Wall, two-year, $13 million deal with the Clippers. Um, I think this is going to be fun. You get Kawhi, you get PG, you get John Wall. They're going to be like the bad guys. They're all on redemptions. And I, thought, I think John Wall still has something left in the tank, so I liked it. The Hawks traded Kevin Horder to the Kings for Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, and a future first. Um, I think they really wanted the pick. Kevin Herter is a solid player. I think he's only going to get better. I don't like Justin Holiday or Mo Harkless very much. They're very end-of-the-bench-like uh, role players, but it is what it is. Malcolm Brogdon traded from the Pacers to the Celtics for a 2023 uh, first pick. Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith, Nick Stoukas, Malik Fitz, and Jawan Morgan. The only real pieces there coming back to the Pacers are Daniel Tice and Nick Stoukas, in my opinion. Um, obviously, they get uh, a first-round pick, but Mal Malcolm Brogdon's good. I don't think that's very good halt for the Pacers, and that's a huge, huge move for the Celtics. I talked about it at the end of the year. They need a good center. This guy can do both, uh, play both ways. He can facilitate. I could see him being a really good fit with their core, and I think their team just got that much better. Kevin Looney staying with the champion Warriors, three-year, $25 million. Team-friendly makes sense. He's a good uh, role player for them and, and could help James Wiseman uh, develop as he is healthy coming through Summer League. The Jazz trade Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, and up to four first-round draft picks unprotected. Bravo, Danny Ainge and team. Bravo. That's what the Jazz needed. If you're going to trade uh, Gobert or Donovan, you know, as the fan base, it's probably going to be Gobert. I don't think you find Gobert's like you can Donovan's, but it does make sense. You get a good haul for it. 
I doubt Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, and those players play for the Jazz. They haven't announced them, which makes me think they have more moves coming. Um, and I know they're looking for a trade partner, partner for Mike Conley as they look to make Donovan a point guard. Um, but even the Hall of the Players, I mean, Jared Vanderbilt's not terrible. Kessler, you don't know yet. Uh, you know, you do need some center depth. Malik Beasley's not a bad role player that can score, and Pat Beverly be brings some toughness, although I don't know if I could handle him on the Jazz. But I am very impressed with the Hall, what they got. Um, it's going to be interesting to see Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns play next to each other. Um, if Rudy Gobert really was the locker issue in, in the, with the Jazz, it's only going to get worse in Minnesota. Uh, but that's an A++ for the Jazz as a Jazz fan. I am through the roof ecstatic. Again, bravo Sorry, front office. Just... Now the Hornets signed Cody Martin, four-year, $32 million. Good fit, good amount. Uh, he's been a good player off the bench for them and is going to be a good uh, role player for the future. He's still young. You knew this was going to happen. The Cavs signing Darius Garland, five years, $193 million. A guy that's really performed, that's a good fit. There's no surprises here. The Bulls signed Goran Dragic and keep Derek Jones Jr. I don't really know much, think much of Derek Jones Jr. besides I know he can dunk. Uh, but Goran Dragic, that's a good veteran piece for them. Maybe he could coach up Kobe White and some of the younger guys they have. Serge Ibaka signing a one-year deal with the with the Bucks. I think that's a, a a good a good fit for both teams. A good centerpiece. Um, I still think he's got a little bit left in the tank. The Nets signed T.J. Warren. I think this is another move where they're just looking to strike what happened in the bubble. T.J. Warren hasn't played. I still don't know what's going on with them. They they want to give him a chance, but I, I don't think I like the move. The Celtics acquired Danilo Gallinari, Sam Hauser, and Luke Cornett. They're filling in some of those pieces. They got rid of the trade. I like Gallinari, a good offensive piece. Sam Hauser still has a ton of potential. I liked him in college. And Luke Cornett, you know, he's a shooter. You need to have shooters in the NBA. The Celtics are looking like they're having a pretty pretty damn good offseason. The Hornets, oh, no, we already talked about Cody Martin. The Cavs get Robin Lopez and Raul Nato. Um, I'm familiar with Raul being in the Jazz. You know, he's a very deep roster piece. So is Robin Lopez at this point in their careers. They need some depth, but I'm not very, you know, I don't think this moves the needle, so to speak. Same with this. The Pistons getting Kevin Knox. They're trying to strike gold on a former uh, a young, highly thought of player. And they give Buddy Beheim a two-way contract to start. He was a guy in Syracuse that really delivered. You never know. But I don't think these really move the needle for the Pistons. It'll be fun to track Buddy Beheim though. The Warriors signed Dante DiVincenzo. I think this is a great signing for them. A guy that was a great shooter, literally earned an NBA contract on one game, the national championship, where he became the Inferno against Michigan. Um, as a Villanova fan, I really rooted for him. Do I think he's going to be an amazing Jalen Brunson type player? Absolutely not. But you surround him with shooters. He's going to learn from these guys, Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. He could potentially be a lethal shooter, and that's all you need from it. The Pacers keep Jalen Smith. I liked him in Phoenix. I like the fit in, in Indianapolis or in Indy. I think that's a good fit for both player and team. The Clippers keep Nicholas Batum and extend Robert Covington. I like those role players and experienced veterans on that team. The Clippers might be one hell of a team next year if healthy. The Lakers get Juan Toscano Anderson and give Scotty Pippen Jr. a two-way. Two moves that I think are desperation moves. 
You know, Juan Toscano, he's going to bring gritness and toughness, but he's not an A-list player. And Scotty Pippen Jr., they're living off the name. They're trying to sell some tickets. Neither of these move the needles for me. The Bucks uh, decide to keep Wesley Matthews. I think this is more of a gelatin thing. He fits in the locker room. He does it. But he's not a guy that moves the needle for me at this point in his career and, and can be a liability. So I'm not too pumped on that one. The Timberwolves get Kyle Anderson and Brent Forbes. I like these moves for the Timberwolves. Kyle Anderson, long, lanky. He can facilitate, plays defense. Bryn Forbes is a good little shooter. Good little moves for them. You know, nothing major, but I like the fits. The Magic keep Gary Harris. He, he's shown he could play. He's gotten a little bit better with the Magic. Uh, they need to have a, a, a guard depth and guy with experience, so hopefully they can help him be the best, best version of Gary Harris that we've seen. The Suns keep Bismarck Biombo. I think they have to with the DeAndre Ayton move, but this isn't anything that moves the needle for me. I don't expect him to be a big-time player. The Wizards get DeLon Wright. This is a guy I would have been interested for the Jazz to get as a role player. Nice little move for the Wizards there. This is a nice move for the Lakers for once this offseason, signing Thomas Bryant. I've liked what I've seen from him. He's still young. Uh, he's very durable. He can score on, uh, on certain nights. I think this is a good backup piece for them. The Blazers waving Eric Bledsoe. There's supposedly quite a bit of suitors for him. I don't blame them in waving him. This is a guy I really wanted to root for. A little just shredded guy, but he just can't shoot. He's kind of a liability. Um, I'm not surprised by that move. <clears throat> the Heat signed Caleb Martin three years, $20 million, Just like his uh, brother Cody. Nice little depth piece. Team-friendly deal. Seems like a, a good win for Miami. And then the Knicks today signing Jericho Sims to a three-year deal. You know, we don't know what he he really can do yet, but I liked what I saw from college. He's an athlete. He could play both ways. So I think this is the best move by the Knicks thus far. He's only 23 years old. But how about that? First week in the freaking offseason, free agency hitting the fan. Can't wait to see other trades. Are the Jazz got something in store? Mike Conley. We still have a lot of big names, including KD, that might get moved. So tune in. We'll be breaking it down on business and buckets. But let's wrap the show up with some MLB and NFL. Uh, we had talked about Jonathan Villar being um, DFA'd by the Cubs. The Angels picked him up. I like the move. He's been batting leadoff. I'm not too sure if I like that. But hopefully he can figure it out and be the Jonathan Villar of old because the Angels need anything they can get. And, and, and I'm glad that Dia, uh, they've, they've DFA'd Tyler Wade and... Um, who was the other speedster? Um, I can't remember, but they needed some guys off the roster. They finally did it. The Cardinals, the first team ever to hit four consecutive home runs. What a day for them. Some history being made, as well as Otani getting 10 strikeouts as a pitcher, two RBIs and a stolen base last night. The first player to do so since I've kept track of RBIs in 1920. The Angels also breaking records in the wrong way, um, getting an MLB record with 20 strikeouts in one game. It's been a brutal stretch, and that just shows you where they're at. But the Angels making moves. The Braves trade Tuki Toussaint, a former top prospect, to the Angels for some cast considerations. So hopefully the Angels can figure him out and, and, and make him a, a staple rotational piece. And then tough news for the Giants. Anthony DeShafani out for the season, undergoing ankle surgery. 
Uh, the Giants have still had one hell of a season, but they don't have a ton of arms, so I look to see them making some moves at the trade deadline. But this past weekend, typical Angels, you know, I was in Vegas, so I didn't really see it, and I'm happy I didn't. They get swept by the Astros 3-0. The Blue Jays and the Rays tie a four-game series going 2-2 in a divisional battle. The Phillies staying pretty hot, beating the Cardinals 2-1. The Yankees beating the Guardians, who were hot and are in a slump, 2-1. The White Sox sweeping the Giants 3-0 in an AL-NL battle. The White Sox looking to get back on track. And the Dodgers beating up the Padres 3-1, showing them who the big brother in the division is. As we look at the standings in the AL East, the Yankees are 14 games ahead of the Rays and Red Sox. But if you look at it, the Rays and Red Sox are still half a game up in playoff consideration. And the Blue Jays are right there. So the whole AL East rocking. Um, the Blue Jays are seven games above 500. Even the Orioles are only five games under. In the AL Central, the Twins four and a half games ahead of the Guardians. The Guardians three and seven in their last 10. Brutal stretch for them. The Astros clearly ahead in the AL West. 13 and a half ahead of the, the Mariners who are seven and three in their last 10. The Rangers at uh, 16 back, the Angels 16 and a half back. In the NL, the NL East, the Mets are two and a half games ahead of the Braves, who are seven and three in their last ten. The Mets five and five, and then the Phillies still above 500, four games above, but eight games back, six and four in their last ten. In the NL Central, the Brewers three games ahead of the Cardinals, who had a brutal stretch, three and seven in their last ten. In the crazy loaded NL West, the Dodgers six games ahead of the Padres after whooping them in that series. They were two and eight in their last ten, and the Giants two games above 500, ten and a half games back. But in the wild card, you have the Braves, Padres, Phillies, Cardinals, and Giants or Cardinals right there as well, and the Giants uh, one game back in the wild card. So things are starting to get interesting. Races are tight. This weekend we have some fun series going down. Two teams just under 500, the Angels and Orioles in Baltimore, uh, squaring off in a four-game series, even starting tonight. And, you know, I got to tell you, the Angels, is that a fireworks series? Probably not, but your boy's fired up. Um, the Marlins, who've been scrappy of late, just under two games under 500, taking on the Mets in New York. The classic rival Yankees-Red Sox happening in Boston. Let's see. The Phillies and Cardinals going on. The Cardinals looking to gain back some momentum at home against the Phillies who've been solid. The Padres and Giants battling out in that wild card position. Huge series for both teams. And then the Blue Jays Mariners happening in Seattle. I would have been there for tonight's game. Actually, we had season tickets. My buddy's going and giving a friend a seat. Uh, but that's going to be a big battle as the Mariners try to stay relevant. And so do the Blue Jays in that really deep AL East. And obviously, Yankees, Mariners, Sunday Night Baseball, because why? It's Yankees, not Yankees, Mariners. Yankees, Red Sox, because it's the Yankees, Red Sox. You know how, how everyone just drools over them. And for a minute there, there was no NFL headlines, but then came the Baker Mayfield trade yesterday. The Panthers trade for him. They give up a conditional 2024 draft pick, and the Browns will pay $10.5 million of a salary. So now insert the... Um, quarterback battle of Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. That'll be fun to watch. And week one is Carolina versus Cleveland. 
And then today, the Raiders hired the first black woman to, uh, team president, Sandra Douglas, in office. Uh, great to see those barriers getting broken. And bravo to Sandra Douglas and the, and the Las Vegas Raiders. Other hitters around the sports world, USC and US, UCLA expected to join the Big Ten. Notre Dame, Oregon, UW, everyone's moving. You know, this wasn't a too big of a surprise because we talked about joint conference games. But here pretty soon, I would assume by 2028, there'll be four massive super conferences. Even some teams like the Montana Grizzlies, my Montana Grizzlies, will probably be moving up into some random conference. Who knows? I don't care. We'll just see what happens. But I'm not a big fan of this, to be honest. I, I just hope that they make the playoff um, expanded to, to fit these super conferences. Your Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche, acquire Alexander Georgiev from the Rangers for a 2022 fifth-round pick and 2023 third-round pick. The, the Stanley Cup champions get that much better. Darcy Kemper in his young 30s um, you know, isn't going to be coming back to the Avalanche. And then Rafael Nadal withdrawing from Wimbledon due to ab an abdominal injury with uh, Djokovic in the semis. It looked like it was going to be Djokovic, Nadal. Nadal usually struggles at Wimbledon. Wimbledon. As a Nadal fan, you're super hyped up. Brutal news. That man can't stay healthy. You can only think what if. But that is episode 90. 90 coming at you. We're almost at the 100 mark. Um, loving life here in Montana, loving UFC 276, the Dirty 30, cheers to 30, and uh, Fueled Supplements, check them out. If you're doing supplements, you're trying to get in better shape, avoid the GNCs, avoid the major uh, big business, help support small business, that's what it's all about. We'll see you guys next week.